So we're going to do, today we're actually going to talk about the book of Psalms. I know we did First and Second Samuel last week, and you think, well, we're going to do First and Second Kings this week. I'm going to change it up a little bit, and we're going to do Psalms, and I'll explain why in a second. But we're actually going to talk about Psalms. We're probably going to spend two weeks talking about Psalms because there's a lot in that to talk about. And then after that, um, we're going to take a pause on this series to do a series on, uh, you call it like issues on salvation or questions with salvation. But some of these things related to salvation that people question, that people debate, um, that people may have an issue with, stuff like predestination, stuff like baptism of the Holy Spirit, union with Christ. That's what we're going to talk about um, in October. And so we're going to talk about the Psalms today and probably next week too. And then we'll have that very interesting conversation about these issues related to salvation that um, people have. Um, and so the Psalms is one of people's favorite books and it's not hard to see why. Um, how many of y'all um, have you ever heard a song that it seems like when you hear that song, every time you you hear it, you choke up. Do you have a song like that? Or do you have a song that it seems like every time you hear that song, you feel like you should just go out and you can find a whole army by yourself. I mean, it just fires you up. You know, music does stuff to us. Music, in a way, touches us in ways that essays, that prose, that speeches don't do. It's amazing to see, I mean, you could have something that it, it's a topic and it's a a comment. And if somebody wrote an essay on it, it would be the most boring thing. Somebody stood up and read the essay. We'd all be snoozing in our seats. But you take that same topic, you put it into some rhythm and put a guitar and, and other instruments behind it. And suddenly people like it. Suddenly it's touching people's hearts and it's moving people to tears. There's just something interesting about music that gets us in a way that other parts and other ways of speaking don't touch it. And that's what the amazing part of the Psalms is. The book of Psalms for a lot of people is one of the most beloved books in the Bible. If not to the whole book, a lot of people who have read the Bible a lot, they might have Psalms as a go-to or a specific Psalm that is a go-to for them. And the beauty of the language, the poetry, the emotion that it conveys, it reaches to us and it gets us. The problem with the Psalms is that the very thing about it that we love is also the part that makes it really hard to understand. Because if you think about it, when you try to talk about God, when you try to teach people about who God is, what do we normally expect as Western learners? You expect something like that. When we want to teach about God and we want to learn about God, we expect a sermon or we expect a thought giant theological textbook with no pictures in it, as Josie says, and just unfeeling almost communication. It's direct. It's concise. It's clear. It's logical. That's what we like when we want to talk about God. What we don't usually do when we talk about God is have things like this. Because music, poetry, man, even though we love the way it sounds, it's indirect, 
it's verbose, it's flowery, it's decorative, it can be unclear. Poetry and songs, even though they touch our hearts, they're not as clear in how they direct our minds. And so when you look at the book of Psalms and you realize that the book of Psalms is the psalm book, it's the hymn book for the ancient Israelites, you begin to realize why we can love this book and at the same time we can struggle with applying and understanding what at least some of these psalms are telling to us. So all I'm hoping to do is over the next two weeks um, is for us to talk about it and hopefully after the next two weeks, you'll feel more comfortable and more understanding about what's going on in the book of Psalms. How can you read the book of Psalms? And more importantly, how you can understand a lot of it and actually learn some good theology about God and have some practical things you can do instead of just reading Psalms and going, hey, that's really beautiful. And then putting it down and leaving it after that. So that's what I'm hoping we can do over the next few weeks. And um we actually have five messy bits I want to talk about, but we're not going to talk about all of them today. Hopefully we'll get to three. Maybe maybe we'll do two. Hopefully we'll get to three today. We'll do the last two next week. Um, but let me uh, talk a little bit about the purpose, the Psalms. Again, it was the song book. It's like the hymns. And similar to how the stories in the Bible are written with a purpose in mind, and that's to teach about God. The Psalms in the Bible are also written with a purpose, and that's to teach about God. Now you say, Michael, why in the world did you stop at first and second Samuel last week and skip over to Psalms? Well, the book of Psalms, in a way, is a book written by David to a degree. We said last week, First and Second Samuel, even though it's called the First and Second Samuel, it really is our books about David. First and Second Samuel is about David. In fact, David has more feature in the Bible than anybody else except for Jesus. And so when you think about David and you think about what he did, the next natural conclusion is, well, what else did he do? He wrote Psalms. And in fact, uh, let's see if I can find here. Uh, 73 of the 150 Psalms or directly attributed to him. So about almost half are directly stated to come from David, but that doesn't mean that the others did. I mean, the others could have been written by him. Um, that The ones that don't have an author, we just don't know. But even if he didn't write them, he set up the way that Israel was going to worship, and he set up the people that were going to write the Psalms in the future. And so the psalm book... It's really a song book that has the print of David written all over it, which is who we talked about last week. So the first messy bit we need to talk about then is how in the world the book of Psalms as a whole was written. Because when you look at it, the book of Psalms is a, you look, the easiest way to find it is just open to the middle of your Bible. Because it's basically the Dax McNeil of your Bible. It's not a coherent story. It's individual selected songs, what we call psalms or prayers, that have been thrown in there. And similar to how our hymn books weren't written by all the same people, they say at the bottom here, this one was written in um, 1941. 
by Reagan Courtney. The Psalms are the same way. This, a lot of them, even though most of them were written by David, a lot of them are not. And so when it comes to when you talk about who wrote it and, and why is it in there, what their purpose is, <laughs> you have the 73 that were directly written by David. Some of those tell you about his historical situation. Some of them don't. Other people who have Psalms in there are Moses, Solomon, Asaph, Heman, Ethan, uh, the sons of Korah, the sons of Asaph. So what's more important when you look at the book of Psalms is not the individual, but the person who put them all down together. In Christmas, we're going to have, uh, and we have in the past, a Christmas cantata. Now, I don't know if we're going to have like a book like we have in the past this year, but in the past, we've had a book, Christmas cantata. And those are individual written psalms, songs by other people. But what order do they normally go in? They go in an order that teach the story of the nativity. Or if you have an Easter cantata, are they randomly selected in there? No. If you have an Easter cantata, you usually have songs that are selected and placed in a specific order to tell a specific story. And so when you look at the book of Psalms, it's important to see not just that the individual psalms are written by people, but to ask yourself, why did they put it there? Because the editor was still trying to tell a story. And sometimes when you, and we'll talk more about what that story is next week, so I'm going to put a pause a little bit on that topic, what the actual story of the psalms is. But sometimes when you read the psalms, and you read one that's really depressing, some of the psalms are really depressing. Read the other psalms around it. Because a lot of times what the author will do is they will answer the depression in one psalm with one of the psalms either before or after. And that's what ends up being more important than who actually wrote and what the actual intention was in the original. Another reason it doesn't matter quite as much about the author is that being a song, they're designed to apply to situations outside the original. Um, trying to think of the, of the name of him. Uh, it is well with my soul. Who knows the story behind that hymn? You might want to share it. You might remember enough to share it. It's awesome if y'all raise your hands. I know you know it. That's right. Yeah. So I don't remember the name. His family went before him mm -hmm. in another ship, and that ship sank. And, you know, I saw his, his wife and his daughter. Yes. So it is well with my soul. Uh, I don't remember his name either. But like you said, his wife and his kids went off on a ship. He was going to come after. There was a storm. He lost them all. And he wrote to him, it is well with my soul after. Now, how many of you have been touched by that hymn, even if you didn't know the original story? Or been able to apply that hymn to your life in ways that the guy, I mean, you haven't lost anybody in a, in a storm, but you've been able to see how that was applied, that hymn was applied to your own life. That's why the hymn's authorship, while interesting and important to a degree, is not as important as the other books, because they're songs. They're designed for you to see those words in your own life. 
Just like the hymn book or the contemporary worship songs, like Ashley sang never once the other day, we can picture them in our own life. So I want to ask you guys a question. Um, when we talk about the book of Psalms and how the order of the books, or the order of the Psalms is important, why is it important to believe that the order that they put the Psalms in the Bible is just as inspired by God as the actual words in the Psalms themselves? Why do you think that's important? Yeah. That's certainly one reason. You'll get this if one next. You'll have to come back next, next week. It's a teaser. But once you know the story, it would mess up the story that God was trying to convey through all these people if you mix up the song. What else? Why is it important to believe that the order of the Psalms is just as inspired by God as the words themselves are through the Psalms? Say that again. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're worshiping God, he's it's almost like a God inspired him. <laughs> it's important too to remember, like I said. Because if the books, the, the psalms are put in a specific order, you can use the psalms together. You can look at one and compare it to the other and know that they were put together for a reason. And that can help you answer questions if you have a song with one problem with one song, just read the ones around it. And maybe it'll help you answer the question because the ones around it were put there by God to inspire and to help you read the one that you're looking at. It's here today. I'll stand on the the need or even a song dedicated to God. The song is divine as a sacred song on him. Mm -hmm. They are. And we're um you're we're on we're getting into what my next message did is. So, so here's my question to you guys. The book of Psalms is written in Hebrew poetry, which usually the Bible show where they format it. But when you read it, it ain't nothing like English poetry. So what is it about Hebrew poetry in the Psalms that makes it so different or maybe so difficult compared to reading the gospel or reading an epistle? What makes the, the Psalms different or more difficult sometimes? Oh, yeah. It doesn't help that it's translated in Hebrew either. Any of y'all ever read? Because there's poetry outside of Psalms, poetry in the prophets, for example. Any of y'all ever read Hebrew poetry and be like, why, why, why are they talking like this? Were you ever wondered why it's considered poetry at all? Because it doesn't rhyme. Because it doesn't rhyme. So you have, 
I mean, let's be honest. If the English Bibles didn't put it in that format, would a lot of us even realize it was supposed to be poetry because it doesn't rhyme? No, probably not. It doesn't rhyme in the Hebrew either, so that doesn't help. It's not like we can claim that's a translation issue. It doesn't rhyme in the Hebrew either. The Psalms is different, especially compared to like the epistles, if you like the epistles or the stories. And that Hebrew poetry is way different from our Western poetry that we have. One, as we already said, it doesn't rhyme. It has no basis in rhyme, not even the Hebrew. Rhyme, they don't care anything about rhyme. They don't care anything about meter or the way that syllables work. They don't care about any of that. So what in the world makes Hebrew poetry Hebrew poetry? Well, the key for Hebrew poetry was this uh, idea called parallelism. And basically what they would do is they would make a statement and then they would add to that statement. They'll add to it either by saying the same thing twice in two different ways. They'll add to it by saying something and then doing something else that's like a stepping stone. So step one, step two. Or they'll say something, then they'll say the complete opposite. But that couplet, the idea that there's always two, sometimes three clauses that are always supposed to be put together and looked at. And basically, it's like a diamond where it's all the same diamond. You're just looking at different faces of it. That's what makes Hebrew poetry Hebrew poetry, that parallelism of ideas. And so a lot of times when we're reading like the prophets or, or psalms or like this sounds really repetitive. That's what makes Hebrew poetry Hebrew poetry, the repetitiveness. That's what they were doing. And related to that with the psalms is they had three different main types. And it's important to know that because it helps you know what in the world you're supposed to do after you read. The types were there were praise psalms, there were wisdom psalms, and there were lament psalms. And again, it's a, if you can know which one it is, that helps you know what to do. Praise psalms and laments in particular are pretty easy to spot. Anybody want to guess why a lament is called a lament? Because it's sad. That's, Joyce. That's what Joyce said. Exactly. Laments are pretty easy to spot because the people are sad. A lot of times they have a marker at the very beginning. Something like they go, oh Lord, or why, or some kind of like just exclamation of pain at the like the very first few words in the psalm. So let's look at an example. Somebody turn to Psalm 3. I think it's only seven verses. So whoever gets Psalm 3, go ahead and read that. Who wants that? All right. Thank you, Sammy. Oh, Lord, how many? Yes. Oh, Lord. There's the... Right there. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, God, may God But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me from my head. Lord, I cry aloud. Alright, so Psalm 3, 
It has that exclamation of feeling, oh Lord, first two words there, kind of a key that this is a lament. And most laments, usually they have some complaint or something they complain about, which is usually at the beginning. And a lot of times they express their confidence in God. The reason why it's important to figure out it's a lament is when you get done reading laments, you can take those and say, okay, this is giving me permission to express my lament to God in this way or to respond to God in this way in my problems. And you can read laments, like I said, as a response for what we're supposed to do in our own pain. You compare that to a different type of psalm, like a praise psalm. The praise psalm is, for example, Psalm 113. Who wants this one? I promise all these psalms I picked are short. So Psalm 113, who wants that one? All right, Teresa. Usually, pray while you're looking for it, usually praise psalms also have like an exclamation at the beginning, and it's something like hallelujah, or praise the Lord, or sing to the Lord. Or give thanks to the Lord. Like they're, they're telling, as you would probably expect Tom to come up here and say, he's maybe, it sounds like a worship leader getting up and saying, all right, everybody, let's sing to the Lord. And that's the clue at the very beginning of praise songs. And that's what type of song it is. Right, Teresa? Praise the Lord. Praise the service of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princesses and princesses of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So while well, you the praise the Lord thing like says the giveaway. So when the laments you get that sign, it teaches you, hey, this is how I'm supposed to respond to pain or to my problems. This is how I talk to God when I need issues solved. When you get that hint that this is a praise song, it tells you that you're supposed to walk away with it and go, okay, today I need to thank God for something. Today I need to praise God for something. And so you read the psalm and you go, okay, what am I supposed to thank God for? What am I supposed to praise God for? And the psalm will tell you. And then you can finish the psalm and you know exactly what you need to praise and thank God for that day. It tells you how you're supposed to respond by knowing what type of psalm it is. The third type is called a wisdom psalm. And it stands out because it doesn't have that strong emotion a lot of times at the beginning. And it usually speaks to correct decision-making, as you would expect a wisdom psalm to do, and the faith of doing righteously versus not following God. And, you know, if the praise psalm tells you what you should thank God for today, and the lament psalm tells you how you're supposed to plead with God today, the wisdom psalm tells you how you're supposed to act today. It tells you what you're supposed to behave like. So the example of a wisdom psalm is Psalm 14. Who wants that one? You said James wrote that Psalm 14. The Lord said in your heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who has 
So that one, you probably noticed at the beginning, there's no praise the Lord screams out. There's no, oh Lord, why? That's screaming out. You even get the helpful hint with that one that he says in the first line, fool, which is like a dead giveaway that you're in a, a wisdom speaking the Bible. And then what the rest of the psalm do, it talks about the wicked and behaving of the wicked, the consequences of wickedness. And then at the very end, it talks about the consequences of the righteousness. And when you follow God, what are the results of that? That's an example of what a wisdom psalm does. And so it teaches you, encourages you how to behave. Um, anybody have any questions or do you have a favorite psalm that you want us to look at real quick and talk about? Psalm okay. 91. So, first, which psalm, what type of psalm do you think this is? Do you think this is a lament? Do you think this is a phrase? Do you think this is a wisdom? Wisdom. Wisdom. I think so, too, just glancing over it. So at the start, what do we already know this psalm is going to want us to do after we're done reading? Give us an example of something to do. How do I think? That's right. Uh, and so, oh, Pam, do you want to read this psalm for us? It's uh, 16 verses, so it's not super long. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the most power will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God and my trust. Surely He will save you from the foul snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and mantle. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys every day. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes. Say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your teeth. For he will command his angels concerning you, and guard you in all your ways. They will lift the foot in their hands so that you will not put against the stone. You will tread on the light of the you will trample the great lion and the Because he loved me, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him if he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. 
Right. So after reading it, I mean, it's pretty clear this is a wisdom psalm because it's comparing life and righteous, living righteously with God versus those who don't live righteously with God. And um, who wants to guess maybe what the action, what, what the psalmist wants you to do now that you've read it? I mean, there's probably more than one thing, but let's go, let's see what y'all think. What? Yeah, trust him because of his protection. That's a righteous act in itself. Try it. I think that's really kind of the, the main overarching thing. So I want to point out to you guys, I told you that one um, one of the unique features of Hebrew poetry is that it's poetry because of its parallelism, not because it rhymes. So let me show you that here. I was scanning through here, like I said, there's three types where either they say the same thing, they say the opposite, or they're sequential. I couldn't find any that were the opposite in here, but I found the other two in here. And so, one, let's look at verse 14. Uh, it says, Because he loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he knows my name. So what do y'all think? That, that That's an example of it's one thought said something. Do you think that's the same idea twice, or do you think it's sequential like step one, step two? Actually, that one's a kind of a tricky one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, in general, I think you could see it both ways. I would say it's more of a, um, the same thing twice. Because he loves me is compared with because he knows my name. So those would be equal. To love God is to know God, or to know God is to love God. And, there, and I will deliver him and set him securely on high, I would say, or equal. So to deliver somebody and set somebody securely on high is the same thing. And that's interesting to know, especially the first one, that he compares loving God with knowing his name. Because how many times have you met people that say they know God, they don't love God like they should? Or they say they love God, but they don't know nothing about God. So this psalm says that to know God is to love God, to love God is to know God. It's the same thing. If you have it truly. And then a sequential one might be more like verse eight. It says you will only look, you will you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. That's what NASB says. So you can see the step one, step two pretty clear in verse eight. You will look on with your eyes, step one, and secondly, you will see the recompense of the wicked, that's step two. Uh, Psalm 91 is a good one. So any, any questions or comments about that one? Do y'all see how you can see these features I was telling you about with poetry and, and hymns and how they can help you know what to do afterwards? I would say like read like the Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're putting equal marks between these things. And uh, that can inform a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Psalms, my Bible puts these little markers here, and they put a space between several verses. I don't know if your Bible has spaces after several verses, but they have these chunks called strophe. And the strophe are like paragraphs. So a lot of times, everything in that paragraph will kind of talk about the same thing. It's usually not a logical flow. It's usually more like it has the same topic. And then it comes out from this direction, this direction, and this direction, and this direction. It's not, it's not a logic of one step to the other like you see the physics. And some English Bibles will tell you what those trophies are by either putting spaces or by putting little paragraph markers tell you where those are. Of course, those are not inspired. That's people's guesses. But whoever translated that translation, that was their guess about where those go. Well, next week, what we'll talk about is uh, we'll talk about Jesus next week. And I didn't want, didn't want to give too much away this time. So we'll talk about Jesus next week. We'll talk a little bit more about reading the Psalms for um, personal devotion and the usefulness for Psalms and personal devotion. Like I said, Jesus, we'll talk about the major story. What story does the book of Psalms actually teach as a whole? And we'll talk about uh, the major lessons that the Psalms is, is trying to tell us throughout the whole thing. So you don't want to miss next week. It's going to be very practical. And you're going to see some stuff next week that you probably haven't seen in the book of Psalms before. So let me pray for us. We'll close out. Dear God, thank you for letting us be here today, Lord. I'm so thankful for the book of Psalms and what it's meant for Christians and for Jewish people for centuries, Lord, for millennia. God, I pray that you would help us be people that just be diligent students, Lord, to know how to help us to understand not just to the beauty of the Psalms, Lord, but to understand what you're trying to teach us and what you would have us do. And God, we're thankful for the Psalms and uh, the fact that they are music and they can speak to our hearts in ways that the rest of the Bible does. And we're so glad that you don't just speak to our minds, Lord, but you care enough to speak to our hearts as well. And God, we love you and thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. See you, Brenda. <laughs>